0: Talking about the price of a soul. No. Alright? Uh, before I start, I would like to pray. Since we did announcements, I just would like to pray before we enter into the word. So if everybody would bother, their to close their eyes. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this time, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us through your word, God, that you would move in the hearts of every person, God, to recognize the people in their life who have helped them to pursue you, God, the people in their life who have preached to them, God, the people in their life who have evangelized to them, God, and have attempted to make you known to them, God. I pray, Jesus, that every person in this room would try to reach out to their friends, God, after this service, Lord, and that they would have a heart, Lord God, for those who are lost, valuing the soul of each person as much as you do, Jesus, in your mighty name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So the price of the soul. Now, previously in the past few weeks, for those of you who have been consistently coming on Sunday, you know that we have spoken on vision three weeks ago, and we discussed the importance of having vision in our life without vision. We are pretty much aimless. We cannot see where we're going, and therefore we cannot achieve a goal. We went over loving God and loving people the past two weeks which is the vision of our church, and it comes from the Bible. And as you can see today, we're talking about the price of a soul. And I would like all of you to turn to Matthew, chapter 18. And as you turn there, I want to explain sheep. Sheep, sheep, like little ba, little sheep. All right, so Matthew 18, verses 12 to 14. When you're there, say amen. amen. So here in Matthew 18 is the parable of the lost sheep, the one little sheep that got away. Now, for those of you who do not know biblical history, sheep were very, very important. They were a staple item, an item kind of like, very, very expensive, an item like a laptop, an item like the food in your fridge, or the, like just a fridge packed with food, like sheep were very valuable, very meaningful. They were the, the provision for a family. Many times families couldn't even afford to have sheep. Now if you were to compare sheep to something that's valuable in your life, think of something that would really stink if someone stole it from you. Something that's like, oh man. Raise your hand if you've ever had anything stolen from you valuable stolen from you I guess some people are, are very smart or something because I see Deanna here she's never been robbed <laughs> once I met Lane Tech which by the way many of us have gone to Lane Tech here uh, when I was in Lane Tech I was in the in the gym room and I was saving money to buy people Bibles and I didn't put a lock on my locker because I was too cheap to buy a lock I didn't want to I was a teenager whatever okay don't judge me but I didn't put a lock on my locker and what had happened was I'd go to gym, whatever, and it wasn't that much money. To me it was a lot because I was like 15 or something. But it was $17 or something like that. I don't even remember how much it was. And I was in the gym, whatever, not even worried. But something in the back of my mind said, maybe somebody went in my locker this time. Maybe somebody just, maybe somebody did steal something. So I come back and I'm a little paranoid. I don't know if you, any of you have ever had a moment like that paranoid like maybe I did leave the car door unlocked or maybe I did leave the car parked in the wrong spot or maybe and then you're just like oh I gotta go check so like I go and I come to the locker all the girls are going in their lockers and I open my locker and it was like I think I used like a safety pin or something to like keep it closed and I go to my locker and I look through my things and lo and behold my money was gone and I was devastated because to me this was God's money. This was money I was gonna use to buy Bibles with. I was like devastated and I felt so horrible, and I, I was just like, man, like, this, these $17 are go- gone, and I got so, like, filled with this, I don't know, right, righteous anger, like this holy anger or something, and I just stood up, and there was probably like 30 girls in the locker room, and I was just like, okay, everybody, I want everybody to listen right now, everybody, right now, somebody stole $17 from my locker. And I want to explain something to you all. That money was for Bibles. (laughs) I am a Christian. I wanted to buy Bibles for people who want to know Jesus. So if that was you, would you please, I'll turn around, I'll walk outside, put that money back in my locker. And I'm like crying, you know, I'm like, (laughs) It was for God, <laughs> you know, like, please just put the money back in my library. I don't care, I won't get mad at you. You can apologize if you want, I don't care. And I, I just, you know, I walked away, and I'm just like devastated. I'm like, you know, like crying because, you know, whatever, 15 years old. And, and <laughs> new Christian, you know, I was probably a Christian for like two years or something. And I really, I just really want to do something for God, you know. So I walk away, I come back, everybody's just like, Dang, I'm sorry. I mean, it it wasn't me. You know, everybody was like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, and I felt like I knew who it was. I I I felt like I knew who it was. Like I was looking at the person, and they they were the only one who was not saying anything at all. You know what I'm saying? At all. Like they were the only person. I was just like, and I even went up to the person. I'm very confrontational. I think I've been that way since I wasn't a Christian. I don't know. But I went up to this person, and I'm like, was it you? <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. i like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I just, uh, no, I didn't see anything. I, I'm really sorry. You know? you know, but this person seemed very, like, guilty. guilty, yes. Very guilty. And so I was just like, whatever, Lord. I forgive them. Whatever, whatever. But I'm still crying. <laughs> so then, this one young lady, this African-American young lady, comes up to me. And she was like, <laughs> and she was like, you know, Vanessa, hearing you say what you were buying, you know, what you were using the money for, it really makes me sad that someone stole your money. So, like, I don't have a lot, but I have $6. I want to give it to you. Like, here. You know, and that made me feel a little bit better. And, but the reason why I'm telling you this story is so you guys can relate to losing something that to you was valuable. You know, something that was very precious. So, we're going to read... Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. All right. See see that you do not look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, previous to the scripture, Jesus is having these little children coming up to him, and they're, you know, according to the disciples, were bothering him. According to the disciples, those children should have not been around Jesus. But Jesus said, no, it's okay, it's fine for them to stay. And then he gets into this, and he makes this point. That no one should look down on these little ones. Now, how many people here have been a child before? Raise your hand. Okay? Anybody not raising their hand, you are a liar. And liars go to hell. But amen, we were all children at one point. So therefore, how many here do you think... Are, how many of you do you think are precious in God's sight? If you think you're precious in God's sight, raise your hand. That's not conceited, okay? You're precious in God's sight. It's not, it's not arrogant. It's not conceited. Jesus said so, okay? And he actually said, if you don't have faith like these little children, then you will never enter the kingdom of God. He said that previous to the section. So here he's saying, don't dare look down on these little ones. Because their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. So I just want to point out something that I think is interesting that's aside from the sermon. But it seems like everybody has a little angel watching them, right? That's what it's saying. I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the the face of my Father in heaven. So every person has somebody behind them. Now the Bible says that God has an encampment of angels around us. And I just... I don't want to get weirdy or anything, but I want you guys to recognize that because a lot of times Christians ignore that entirely. All right? Now, as I go on, I really want to emphasize the fact that this shepherd that Jesus is talking about is like all of us. It's how we should all be, it's how we should value every soul that's around us. That's why I find it very interesting that Jesus uses the comparison of children and then he goes into. The parable of the sheep. The parable of the 99 that stayed and the one that wandered away. Now, all of us, probably one time in our life or another, have wandered away. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Has, has anyone here just lived for Jesus your whole life and you never back said anybody perfect in this place? Didn't think so. Now, doesn't it doesn't it matter to you? Doesn't it mean something to you that Jesus... Cared about you during that time when you had wandered away? Doesn't it mean something to you that when you were this one lost sheep, that he went after you? We should be the same way. This is how it relates to us. We should be the same way. What do you think, verse 12, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. God is not willing that anyone should be lost. From the day we were conceived, we had a soul. Jeremiah 1.5. This is God speaking. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Here, God's talking to Jeremiah and his calling. He actually goes on to say, mind you, he's probably around our age, maybe a little younger, probably around Denelli's age, Adam's age. Jeremiah is saying, But Lord, I'm, a, I'm only a child. Lord, I'm only a child. But he's saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He goes on to say, After that, I have prepared you. I'm sending you out. Every person that God has created on this earth has a soul. Every person, you each have a soul. And each of you were known by God before you were even formed in your mother's womb. Amen? Amen. All of you were valuable in God's sight before you, your parents even thought of a name for you. God already knew you by name before You were even born. He knows all things. He has all foreknowledge. And I have here a picture of a little child and a picture of what that child could potentially be if she were to become lost. I know that's kind of weird, but I did that because it just goes to show you that woman on the right-hand side is just as precious in God's sight as the little child on the left because that woman on the right used to be that little child. And deep down inside, there's... There is that child that Jesus said, no, I desire that child to come unto me. I desire that person. I desire that soul to come unto me. And all of you were like the girl on the right-hand side. You were lost. Maybe you didn't smoke. Maybe you were just rebellious. Maybe you just doubted. But you used to be lost by your own admittance, by your own confession. You said, yes, there's at one point where I was lost. But yet God still had a plan for you. He still set you apart for a specific purpose. Now I want to read a different version, focusing on still the 99, the the one that wandered away, but from Luke's perspective. Because Luke focused on that one being a lost person. He focused on Jesus' perspective of that one, well, his perspective of Jesus' perspective in that time. So let's read that. Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? God's heart is for the person who doesn't have it all right. God's heart is for the person who is really jacked up, tore up from the floor up, amen? Amen. Yeah. You all were lost. You all did not have God at one point in your life. God was after you. God still loves you. But you, right now, are the 99. And he is still after that one. Now, Jesus was speaking to the tax collectors with this parable to kind of switch their thinking around. Because they were very self-righteous, and they wanted to be the good character in the story, okay? Now, since Pharisees were very self-righteous, when Jesus told the story, they were like, of course I would leave the 99 sheep and go after that one lost sheep. Of course, I would do what was right. I would go after that one because that sheep matters. Because the shepherd cared about his sheep, because the shepherd um, prized and treasured that sheep. So the the self-righteous Pharisees were like, of course I would go after the one. And that's why Jesus turned it on them, because he tricked them, because he knew that in their self-righteous pride that they would be like, Yes, I'm going to go after that one. Of course I would go after that one. He turns it on them right as they're judging the lost person, right as they're judging the sinners that Jesus is sitting around. He says in verse 7, I tell you the same way. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus turns this whole situation on them. As he's sitting at a a table, ministering to lost, broken, hurting people. And as these self-righteous people were like, you know, wow, Jesus sits with sinners. Look at you, Jesus. Why are you sitting with sinners? Why are you eating with them? Aren't you a holy man like us? Aren't you holy? Aren't you righteous? But yet Jesus was like, yes, but I don't need to prove it to you, number one. And number two, There's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner than over 99 people like you who think you're righteous. It's pretty much the point. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so this is not the only parable that Jesus does this type of uh, approach in. There's also the parable of the lost coin. We already went over the parable of the lost sheep. In the parable of the lost coin, a woman... Gets these coins that during her wedding time and she loses one of them. And it's something very valuable. I mean, if you received anything on your wedding day and lost it, I'm sure you would go after it. Yes, ladies? Amen? Yeah. If you lost that, that wedding ring, that young wedding ring, yeah. I, I think that you would be going crazy looking for that diamond ring yeah. under your bed, turning everything over, going nuts, going crazy looking for it because it's valuable to you. Now the prodigal son, it's the story of a father who values his son, not just any son, but his lost son. It's a very long story. I encourage you guys, if you haven't read these stories, I want you to get familiar with them. I want you to write these down, these verses. It's pretty much in the whole chapter of of Luke 15 that you can find all of it. It's also in in the accounts of, uh, of, I believe, Mark too. You can find it all throughout the Gospels, but I, I quoted these references specifically to make it easier. But you can write these down, and I want you to read these if you're not familiar with them, and I want you to get familiar with them. Jesus uses these parables to teach people the emphasis of losing something valuable. All right? So what is the definition of valuable? As you see here, I have like an iPad and a diamond ring, because this generation values those things. But let's read the definition of valuable. Number one. Having considerable monetary worth, costing or bringing a high high price, for example, a valuable painting or a valuable crop. Number two, having qualities worthy of respect, admiration, or esteem, like a valuable friend. Number three, of considerable use, service, or importance, valuable information. So I want you to think about this as we think about God's heart for every lost person and every soul. I want you to write these down, and if you're taking notes, or at least the one that speaks the most to you in this situation. And I want you to consider what type of a heart must a person have had? And I was talking about this with you guys if you were here on Tuesday for the Bible study. What type of heart would a person have to reach out to you and tell you about Jesus? To reach out to you and risk being humiliated? To risk being rejected? To risk being um, made fun of? To risk being not popular? What kind of a person was it that reached out to you when you were lost? How much were you valued when somebody reached out to you? And what does that say about you and how you reach out to others? Now, I don't want any condemnation or bondage for anybody in here, because if you're already reaching out to your friends, amen. But I really want you guys to have a heart like God. Like a heart like Christ as he sat at the table with the sinners. When Jesus sat at the table with the sinners, he wasn't getting drunk with them. He wasn't getting high with them. He wasn't making out with them, okay? Jesus was not living in sin, all right, as he was trying to reach these sinners. When Jesus reached these sinners, it was on his own basis. It was on his own agenda. It was the agenda to win them to the kingdom of heaven. If your agenda is anything else, when you are with your friends and family, if your agenda is just to completely ignore where their eternal soul is going to go, and it's just to ignore everything that you have learned in church, then your agenda is not like Christ, and your agenda is wrong. And we need to have a heart after Christ. Our agenda needs to be when we encounter someone, let's say all, the only people you encounter is the person at the grocery store. Let's say you're just that busy that you're, let's say you're in your car all the time, and the only person you encounter is that one person in the grocery store at the line. What should your agenda be? In and out. No. It shouldn't be. If that's your excuse, if all you ever see is one person, then you better win that person to the Lord. You better try. You better cry out to God for that person's soul. You better pray Every day for that person's soul to be one to God. Somebody prayed for you. Believe it or not, somebody was praying for you.
1: When you were
0: on the way to destruction, when you were on the way in the path to help, somebody was praying and crying out to God for your soul. And God has won you. But God wants to use each and every one of you to win somebody to his kingdom. To help someone else see his light. To help someone else see his truth. This is the heartbeat of God. When I was preparing this message, I was half tempted to speak about missions again. But I didn't want to be redundant. What I wanted to bring up, though, and I'll bring it up now, If any of you feel called to missions, you will never go to the nations until you've preached in your own backyard. You will never be sent across the world and be successful until you have been faithful here. Never. If you have not been faithful with the little that God has given you, you will not touch other land and be successful. And that is the truth. Until you have been broken, and you have served with all your heart, and you have cried for your friends that are already around you, until you have prayed every day for those people, God will not give you more. There's a test before you. There is a test right before you, and if you can't pass that test, guess what? You're going to keep repeating. Like like you're repeating kindergarten. Like you're repeating first grade. You're going to keep failing and repeating. Until you pass this test that's in front of you. God has a mighty future. Just like he said to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. And he knew the plans that he had for Jeremiah. But he was trying to say something. I'm going to send you out. I knew those plans. Us, people, okay? Who's, who's, what did Jesus say? Who is he? The shepherd. Okay. And he, who is he saying is the one who enters another way? The, robber. the thief and the robber. Okay, so if us sheep were something invaluable, something dispensable, something that didn't matter anything, why would a thief come in to try and steal it? Like, why would a thief come in to try and steal your soul? Why would a thief come in to try and attempt anything. Why is it that you are confronted daily with temptations? Why is it that you're confronted daily with people trying to tell you that your religion is jacked up and that you are the one who's confused and that you need to be more tolerant? Why is it that you're constantly being confronted by all of this? It's because your soul is valuable. The devil would never try to steal something that wasn't valuable. Why is it when you Google soul? What pops up? When you Google souls, you see all this satanic stuff. I'm being so serious. Google souls when you go home. Why is it that the devil so soul after souls? Why is it that there's pentagrams Satanic marks everything when you Google souls. Why is it? Because the devil is after people's souls. Because it's valuable. It's valuable to God. Because he created every person to have communion with him. And the moment that you decide to not know Jesus, the moment you decide to turn your back on him, that's when you've given yourself over. You just gave the devil another diamond in his pocket. You just turned yourself into a prostitute and the devil is a pimp. But in God's hands, you are precious. You are jewels on a crown to adorn God with worship. I'm going to continue reading in verse 4. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now you see here that Jesus is emphasizing that he's the only way. If you ever saw somebody going in through the back window, breaking in the back window of your neighbor's house, and climbing in, and you didn't recognize them, would you think that's normal? No. Absolutely not. And if you thought that's normal, then you got a problem or you live really far south. I don't know. But that should not be normal. <laughs> All right? That should not be normal, okay? Because only thieves do that. If you, are, if you are really who you're supposed to be, you'll be able to come in freely through your own door, okay? You'll be able to unlock the door with a key, a thing called a key, and you'll be able to get in and out. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way into eternal life. I'm the only way into this house. So if anybody's trying to break in through some other way, through Muhammad, through Allah, they're trying to break in through the windows, they're a thief, they're a robber. They're not the real ones. They're not my real sheep. They are instruments. I mean, this is not a battle against the flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. But those people are being used for bad. When they're coming to you, No, no, no. There's many ways to heaven. No, no, no. You are wrong. You're you're a bigot. You're intolerant. No. They're wrong. They're coming in through the windows. They're breaking in. They're trying to break into eternal life. They're thieves and robbers. The devil's behind all that. The many ways to heaven. Yeah, right. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm the gate, I'm the only way. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, when the devil even tries to come in, through whatever way, through temptations, through your friends dissing you, whatever, through whatever way that the devil's trying to come, it's not to come bless your life. Do you think the devil is tempting you to do something wrong and to sin because he wants to do you a favor? Do you think he's going to be your daddy? Do you think he's going to take care of you. He is like the worst idea of a foster parent. Like foster, not, not just in foster parents, but the worst concept of a foster parent. Like when you think of these children that come out jacked up and they're passing from all these families because they keep getting abused, that's exactly what the devil is. He's, he's like that. He doesn't want you to have eternal life. He doesn't want your future to be blessed. He doesn't want your friends to know the Lord. He doesn't want that. He wants to destroy your future. He wants to destroy the path you're on. He wants to destroy your hope. But that's why you don't listen to him. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you so you recognize it when it's coming at you. Recognize the attack. Hear the shepherd's voice. Let's get to that. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus is definitely not a pimp daddy. Jesus is definitely not the devil. Jesus is definitely not out to destroy people's lives. He's come to give you life abundantly. He's come to give your friends life abundantly. And he's not a hired hand. Now some of you in this room, you battle with being a hired hand. Some of you in this room, you battle with being faithful to what is precious to Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd. He owns your friends' lives. He is the creator of the universe. All things were made through him. And he owns, he owns this whole earth, whether they like to acknowledge it or not. He gives them a choice, but they are his. But will you be the hired hand that's like, oh, the devil's attacking and They don't want to listen. That's it. I quit. I'm done. I'm done praying for them. They don't want to listen. My family doesn't want to listen anymore. Are you the one who's going to quit? Are you a hired hand? Jesus is saying that he is a good shepherd and he lays down his life. You know, you really care about something if you're willing to die for something. I saw that on someone's page. It was like Martin Luther King. He obviously took that from Jesus, you know, how Jesus said he lays down his life. In another area of scripture where he says, you know, only a true friend will lay down his life. You know? I'm, I'm going to actually get into that. I'm going to, go to the next slide. Let's concentrate on a on thief first, though. A thief. A thief never steals anything that is of no value. You never see a person who has a choice between a penny and a diamond, and they pick the penny. They always pick of what's of what's value. When there's an option, they go after what costs the most. Have you ever been robbed? I already asked you guys this question. What were the value of the items that were taken from you? Your soul is valuable. That is why there's such a battle for it. That's just a recap of what I've already told you. So how can we prove the soul, the value of a soul? How can we prove the value of a soul? God came down from his throne in heaven that all souls would know him and have eternal life. Think about this. How do you know if a soul is valuable? How do you know? What's proof? I mean, if God Almighty, God Most Holy, God who doesn't even need to have anything to do with us, if he was willing to come down from his throne where he was comfortable, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about the Father. I'm talking about Jesus. Come down from his throne where he was comfortable, where he had no pain, no suffering, no hunger, no thirst, no pain, no, you know, whatever. He didn't have to use the bathroom. He, he didn't have anything human about him, okay? He came down for the specific reason of getting all of your attention, for the specific reason of pointing you all in the right direction, specifically your friends also, because you already know the truth. You already know the truth. The truth is inside of you. Jesus Christ is inside of you. Every word that has been spoken to you guys, every Bible verse is inside of you. The word of God is inside of you, and he wants you to pour it out. Mm -hmm. (coughs) He came down so that all souls would know him and have eternal life. God, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That you cannot do what Jesus did and lay down your life for the lost. I'm being very confrontational today because I want you guys to see the heart of Christ. Let go of your pride. Oh, well, I already pray for my friends every once in a while. And I, you know, I talk to them on Christmas. And I talk to them every once in a while. And, well, are they one yet? Have you preached the gospel to them? Have you done what people have done in your life? Have you done what God was willing to do? You'll never be God. But you need to be like Christ. Amen? Amen. This is the price of a soul. Romans 5. Verses 6-8, through eight. you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you even though you were jacked up? All sins equal in God's eyes, so you could very easily say, that you were the equivalent of a pedophile, a rapist, a murderer. Even though none of you are, I hope, in Jesus' name. But in God's eyes, all sin is equal. And he still died for you. A wretched sinner. All of us are, were wretched sinners, lost without the grace of God. We were all lost without the grace of God. We were all sinners. How many of you, you wouldn't be willing to die for a rapist. You wouldn't be willing to die for a pedophile. How many of you, someone was beating you across the face, saying, you know, um, you're you're stupid, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to murder you, and you still are able to preach to them, Jesus loves you still. How many of you would be able to do that? That's a difficult thing. Ask yourself that question. If somebody was about to shoot you, deny your Lord, deny Jesus, would you be able to say, no, I'm not going to deny my Lord. Many times when people, and I'm not saying any of you are going like to face this tomorrow or anything, you know what I'm saying? Like, who knows? God knows your life. You could face persecution like this in any moment of your life, okay? You, even with the simplest things, if your friends are asking you what you believe and you, you stagger and you doubt and you, you know, take steps back, that's just as cowardly and shameful. But I want you guys to think about this because you need to be willing to lay down your life. The Bible says... He who wants to gain his life or save his life will lose his life. But he who loses his life will save his life. So if, you don't, if you're not willing to lose your life for Christ, then you're not going to gain anything. That's it. Second Peter 3, verses 9-10. through 10, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So the awesome thing about God is he's giving us a chance to preach to our friends. He's giving us time. A lot of people, they say, well, why doesn't Jesus just come and get me? I'm sick and tired of living in this life, living in sin. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired. I just, Jesus, come and take me, Lord. When will you come and rapture me like a little princess, Lord? When are you going to come and get me? Well, he'll come and get you after the gospel has been preached to all people. Okay? He's not slow in keeping his promise. He just wants more souls in his kingdom. He just wants more people like you. He just loves you guys so much. He just loves this world so much that he doesn't want them to perish. He's giving a chance. This is the biggest opportunity for a harvest of people, a, a, a big plentity, a, a plenitude, I don't even know how to say this word, a big abundance of people can come to know him now because there's more people on the earth than there ever was before. Have you ever thought about that? More people have been won into the kingdom of God in the past 10 years than in the history of Christianity because, there's, because of how big the population is. So, I wonder why Jesus waited this long, because more people are coming now, in, in abundance, because more people, there's more Christians to reach out, more people getting saved, so more people are able to reach out, and they, when they're reaching out, more people are getting one. Now, I want to emphasize something. I don't want you guys to get overwhelmed with the thought of, oh my gosh, I haven't been speaking to anyone else. Jesus went after one. Start with that. Amen? Let's start with One. Let's start with one friend. I don't want you to ignore the rest. God forbid. You don't want to be the person, like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but it's happened to me before and it taught me a lesson. I never want to be the person who had the opportunity to preach to a friend and then they died and went to hell. And I know they went to hell. You never want that to happen to <coughs> Where you had a friend and they died in a car crash and you had the chance to tell them and you didn't. Just because, you know, whatever, excuses. You never want to have that blood on your hands. Now, God will forgive you, of course, but it doesn't mean you should take advantage of that grace. You don't want to have blood on your hands because you were lazy, because you were afraid of people, because of shame, doubt. You don't want to be that person. Go after that one. Start with one. Start praying for one. I dare you guys to pray every day for one person. And I'm talking to you guys... As a person, not as a person who's never won a person to the Lord. I've won many, and many of you know that. Many of you know, know me, so I'm not speaking from a, hip, a hip, hypocrisy. I'm speaking from action, okay? And I don't want to be like Paul who makes a fool of himself like Paul. He said, I don't want to make a fool of myself, but I'm going to boast in the Lord right now. You know, he said, I'm trying to make a point to you all when he's speaking to the churches and his letters to them, but I'm trying to make a point. I've prayed every day for people and seen them one to God, okay? It's not impossible, it's not impossible. It's not impossible for your friends to change. Look at Monique, did you guys know that I led Monique to the Lord? Look at her, she is a woman of God. You can win somebody to the Lord and they can become a beautiful person in God's kingdom. They can become who God wants them to be, you know? And even if you, and listen, Winning a soul is not, oh, you're there all the whole time, planting the seed, watering the seed, harvesting the seed, being the sunlight. You're not the Savior, okay? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the Savior. You can't be everything in that person's life. But you can do whatever you can if it's planting a seed. Hey, I was reading in the Bible, blah, 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 about your situation. I just wanted to encourage you. You know, I'm here for you if you have any prayer. Jesus loves you. If it's a seed... If you come back to that person, like, hey, how's that situation going? Oh, it's really bad. Well, you know what? Let's pray right now. Jesus can do anything. Let's pray right now. Let's, let's, I want to talk to you. I want to find out about you. Like, if you don't know this person, you know, I want to know more about you. Water that seed. You can even see that seed harvested, but God is the one who decides what grows. You may just plant a seed here, water a seed here, and harvest a seed here, you know, plant a seed, water seed. You might be planting seeds and watering seeds everywhere. That's what I did for years before I saw one person, want to the Lord. But I prayed every day for those people. The people that are in this church, they know it. I pray for them every day. You know? And to see them stand here, I'm going to cry. <laughs>